Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. An incredibly deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. With LinkedIn ads, you'll be able to target over 70 million decision makers all in one place. No deep voice required. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. Terms and conditions apply. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com with the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Welcome back to another episode of Financial Heresy. This is the podcast where we talk about how money works so that you can make more, keep more, and give more. Uh, On this week's episode, I do not have a guest like I have for the last few weeks. We are going to be talking about uh, the biggest black swan since 1929. Um. Many of you are probably familiar with Nassim Taleb. Uh, Nassim Taleb is an author in terms of, okay, in terms of his books, in terms of him being an author, one of my all-time favorites. Um, Now, there are some things that it seems like he has changed in terms of his outlook on uh, life and uh, things that contradict uh, his books in terms of how he responded to uh, COVID and 2020, 2021. And so there's there's been a little bit of a uh, divide in the people who used to uh, really enjoy following what he said and writes and publishes versus the people who do now. Um, I am not interested at all uh, in discussing uh, anything recent uh, in terms or or COVID or anything like that. So um, I, I don't it, for this conversation, it really doesn't matter what your views are on that. If you are even familiar at all, I just had to get that out there because even mentioning his name now stirs up a little bit of controversy. So um, many people are aware of who he is and the books that he read, wrote uh, still, no matter what, no matter what he says today, they are absolutely 
fantastic. Some of the best books written in terms of risk management, um, going through life, uh, uh, the, the, uh, um, aphorisms and, uh, heuristics we can use to, uh, to, to successfully navigate through a world of luck and hidden risks. Um, so the three books that he, uh, wrote that I like the best are, um, the Black Swan, Anti-Fragile, and Skin in the Game, uh, in that order, because um, they build on each other. Now, he also wrote a couple other books, uh, The Bed of Procrustes, and um, what was the first one? Fooled by Randomness. Fooled by Randomness, to me, seemed like uh, um, a, a, a very immature version of his ideas that were not fleshed out very well, that he does indeed flesh out very well in the next three books. So you're not missing anything if you don't read Fooled by Randomness. In fact, um, you're just getting his thoughts better distilled and uh, are better articulated by reading the other three. The reason why I'm giving you the intro on uh, Nassim Taleb is because he is kind of known as the black swan guy um, in terms of uh, he very, um, uh, you know, accidentally predicted the, uh, um, uh, the election of Obama and, uh, and Donald Trump, um, through his lens of black swans and anti-fragility and risk. Um, he again, accidentally kind of predicted the, uh, housing market blow up. Um, and he was also a trader. That's how he got his start in his career. He was a trader, um, built off of this kind of philosophy of, um, taking small risks with limited downside, uh, that have exposure to potentially massive upside, little losses over time. And then every once in a while you get a big gain. Um, and, uh, and so that was, that's kind of his background. There is another uh, another guy that you may not have heard of before. His name is Mark Spitznagel. Um, he's written two books, uh, both fantastic books. The Dow of Capital is his first one, and his most recent one, uh, it got delayed uh, due to COVID uh, being published. I think it came out in 2021 at the end. Um, it's called Safe Haven, um, uh, investing for uh, an uncertain world or something like that. Uh, Safe Haven by Mark Smith Spitznagel. Uh, both of them are fantastic books in terms of the, again, looking through a lens. Uh, um, the, really, it's Austrian economics applied to investing um, and uh, really just a lot of great insights and strategies in terms of how to approach investing to minimize downside uh, risks and maximize upside potential. So they run, or Mark Spitznagel runs Universa Investments. This is a uh, hedge fund. Um, and then Nassim Taleb is an advisor to the hedge fund. Um, and uh, I don't know exactly how much money each one of them has in the fund, but uh, Mark runs the fund. They are good friends. Um, and um, so what in the world am I bringing these two guys up for? Well, they have recently um, in the news been talking about how the market is headed for a black swan event uh, and we the results are going to be worse than the Great Depression, basically. 
Um, and so taking a look at a couple of things that they've that they've said, I'm right now reading from uh, Markets Insider and Bloomberg. Um, so number one, brace for a recession. Um, a stock market crash akin to 1929. Uh, let's see here. Uh, the rising debt levels uh, are posing a time bomb. Uh, get ready for a tinderbox time bomb that will be worse than the 1929 stock market crash. Uh, let's see. What else do they say here? Okay. It is objectively the greatest tinderbox time bomb in financial history, greater than the late 1920s and likely with similar market consequences. Um, what else? So, and this view, this view is not uh, isolated to just these two guys. Um, we've got uh, the, the the two articles point out. Um, what's his name? Uh, Rubini. Let me pull him up and see what he said. Noriel Rubini. Um, he is uh, an economist who um, has made some some uh, predictions in the past that have turned out to be true. Um, he recently warned that the high debt levels and the rising interest rates would cause a severe recession and a debt crisis. Another guy, Michael Burry. So if you ever saw the movie The Big Short, Michael Burry was the one, the doctor played by um, uh, Christian Bale. Michael Burry, you know, he's he's a real guy. That was, you know, a true story. Um, he, re he tweets from time to time and he always del deletes his tweets as well. Um, but he tweets, you know, about his opinions and his positions. Um, and he is uh, currently saying that uh, the stock market is headed for the mother of all crashes. Um, one of the things that Spitznagel said here is that um, the correction, like the, the recession, the correction when markets go down, that once it was a natural and healthy thing. Like, you know, when markets go down, it's to it's like burning off the dead wood in a forest. It's like the things that are supposed to fail, fail. Um, the uh, things that are overvalued get sold off. Money is lost where it should be lost, where there's wasting of resources. And that capital is reallocated into the areas that are uh, um, more resourceful and will provide a better return. So these corrections, these are the um, they're called a correction because they're there to correct the malinvestment that has taken place. Um, so that's a natural and a healthy thing. So he's saying now that's become a contagious inferno capable of destroying the system entirely. Uh, the world is just too levered today. The debt construct just too big. Um, and again, like I said earlier, this is not just these two guys. Let's take a look at uh, something that uh, Ray Dalio has been talking about recently. So if you're not familiar, Ray Dalio is, uh, he's a billionaire. He is the founder of Bridgewater, the largest hedge fund in the world. Um, and he said that the U.S. has been treading dangerous territory after hitting the national debt ceiling of $31.5 trillion. Um, he said that, uh, uh, that, that this would be, Let's see. Was this Yellen saying it? Um, that default would be a self-imposed calamity. Um, yeah. Okay. So that was Yellen that said that default would be a self-imposed calamity. Um, so he Ray Dalio is basically saying the debt ceiling is a farce. There's no real debt limit, which is true because it's self-imposed. Um, he, he said it's like a bunch of alcoholics who write laws to enforce drinking limits. <laughs> 
which is absolutely true because when you look at uh, government spending, it benefits the the party and the people who voted for it and what they spend that money on. It's a it's a power play, and so uh, any limitation on that is gonna you know it's you know why would somebody in power self impose limitations on themselves to getting more of what they want, which is power, um, and that we know that they actually never do. They always they always raise that limit. Now, um, he was saying that this is, you know, kind of like this is like a, a, a bad thing in terms of, um, you know, the, the predicament that our nation has gotten into with so much debt because of this. Um, so all of these things put together, some of the smartest people who run hedge funds and best traders and investors and economists, they're all kind of looking at the same thing right now. Number one, we have an un unprecedented amount of debt. No person has a brain that can comprehend really anything over, you know, a thousand. Like the the way that our brains are designed um, is designed for day-to-day life. And so yes, we can grasp the concept of a thousand, a million, a billion, a trillion, like, you know, as as just numbers, but uh wrapping our minds around the that quantity um, our brains are more designed to interact with low numbers of things like, you know, 120 uh, kind of as, you know, as a group, like we we know what that feels like and we can wrap our minds around that. When you start getting into the thousands, the tens of thousands, even the hundreds of thousands, it just becomes a number that it's difficult to for a human brain to wrap your mind around. So a, a million and then a billion and then a trillion, it's like we, we have no concept uh, of how to, uh, you know, no part of our brain that can conceptualize how big of a number that is. Um, and our debt is 31 trillion. And so in order to tr- really try and break this down, we have to kind of uh, look at it through smaller chunks and um, and uh, break it down into ways that are a little bit easier to understand. So we know that the United States government has, you know, $31 trillion uh, in debt. Now that's just the amount borrowed. Um, so that's, this is important to recognize. That's just borrowed. Um, this is not the amount that they actually owe back because the, the, the debt amount by law is going to just be the, uh, the number that was borrowed. So that 31 and a half trillion is what was borrowed. The uh, amount that they owe back is what they borrowed plus. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. 
So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic, oracle.com slash strategic. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Interest. Um, and so right now that's at $31.5 trillion, trillion. So let's say, just hypothetically speaking, this is impossible, it would never happen. But let's say that the government was like, all right, we're going we're gonna to pay the debt down to zero. Um, what we would need to do, just if you just look at the numbers, you'd need to run a trillion dollar surplus every single year for 30 years straight. <laughs> so to put that into perspective, let's look at some history. The last time the government ran a surplus was in 98, 99, 2000, and 2001. Uh, the peak, the biggest surplus was uh, in the year 2000, and the number there was uh, $236 billion. That was the total surplus. That was the biggest surplus that our nation has ever run. Okay, and that only lasted a couple of years, right? 98, 99, 2000, 2001. Prior to that, so we haven't run a uh, we have not run a surplus since two thousand one. If you want to go back, um, we can go back every single year. Um, okay, nineteen sixty nine. There was a uh, three billion dollar surplus, 
and then deficits, deficits, deficits. And I think we have to go back then all the way to 1948 until we get to the last surplus, which was $11.7 billion. Other than that, the United States has run deficits. Now, just in case you're not uh, uh, just th- these words uh, are kind of, you know, they're kind of glazing over your mind. A deficit is the amount that you spend in excess of your income. So you personally, if you make 10,000 bucks a month and you spend $11,000 because you ran a credit card, you had a deficit of $1,000. Now, you don't have to use a credit card. Let's say you had some savings. Well, the only way you would have had those savings is by running a surplus in a prior month. So last month you made 10, but you only spent nine. You had a $1,000 surplus. This month, you've got $1,000 in savings. You make $10,000 and you spend $11,000. You add a deficit. So your past surplus and your uh, current deficit net out. And now you have, you know, you've got no savings left. So in the future, then if you continue to spend deficits, you'll just continue to run up that credit card. Um, So that's what the United States has been doing for basically its entire history is running deficits. That means borrowing and spending, borrowing and spending. Now you personally, if you borrow uh, in order to spend, you get your credit card up to there is going to be a cutoff because the, the, the credit card company, they're going to be collecting payments from you. And at a certain point, the minimum payment that they require to get from you will get to a point where it's so large, you might not be able to pay it. So at some point, you're going to hit your credit limit and they're going to cut you off. They won't loan to you anymore. The United States government does not have this uh, this problem imposed on them from the outside. Why is that? Well, because at the end of the day, we know that the United States government commands the United States military and can collect taxes because at the end of the day, that is the power, that is the value behind the dollar. It is the ability to go collect taxes, which is done with the threat of violence because If you don't pay your taxes, you go to jail. And if you don't want to go to jail, they put you in jail at the end of the point of a gun. And so uh, the monopoly on the use and which includes the threat of violence is what gives the United States government the ability to borrow as much as they want. Because if push comes to shove and they want to, they can collect enough to pay. Um, They also have the ability to print money. That's going to be, you know, a discussion for another time, but they can print money essentially to pay back uh, money that they've borrowed. So they don't even have to go door to door and, you know, throwing people in jail for not paying extra taxes. They can just decide to force the federal reserve to print the money that they need. So at the end of the day, that's why there's no limit imposed on the government um, from the outside in terms of like a borrowing cap, because they can always afford a higher number of dollars uh, to borrow. And so for its in its entire history, it's just been loading up on more and more and more debt. Um, now, because the system is built like this, because because the government does this and they basically through borrowing more to pay off the old debt, it's like if you, in, instead of paying off your credit card directly, you just did a balance transfer to a new credit card and you got their you know introductory 12 months of interest-free payments. You, do, you keep on doing that every time. 
just to pay off the old debt. And then you keep on loading up new credit cards with new debt. That's what the government is doing here. They're borrowing new debt in order to pay off the old debt. Um, and then they're borrowing extra debt to cover their deficit. So, um, We've gotten to the point now where they've run so they've had such a long history of steep deficits that our current debt is at thirty one trillion dollars. So if we wanted to get that back and you know basically pay that back, you'd have to run a trillion dollar surplus for thirty years straight. Um, if we look at the uh, the the current deficit numbers, you know, in twenty twenty two, deficit of one point three trillion. 2020 was 3 trillion. Um, you know, 2009 was one and a half trillion. So these are the deficits. So not only would we have to get back up to a balanced budget, but we'd also have to increase that and get up to a surplus. So if <laughs> imagine what that would take, like the government right now, this last year, spent $1.4 trillion in excess of what they received in taxes. So they they borrowed the difference there. Well, so how much did they receive in taxes? Well, in 2022, it was uh, $405 billion in taxes. And so they received money in taxes and then spent way more than that. And so you would need the federal government to receive a trillion dollars more in taxes than they are spending. They don't even make enough in taxes right now to have a balanced budget given what they're spending. They would have to spend a negative amount. The economy does not have enough money to produce those sort of surpluses to get the government to be able to pay back the debt over a 30-year time horizon. It just doesn't exist. Those That amount of dollars is not in circulation. If you want to, if you take a look at the money supply, there are multiple ways to measure the money supply. Um, we have uh, M two is the main you, the way the the main measure of the money supply, uh, and that says that the total number of dollars in circulation is twenty one trillion dollars. So if you took every dollar in circulation and the government just confiscated it through a one-time tax called the get out of get out of debt tax and took every dollar the government would still owe 10 trillion dollars that's how bad of a situation this is okay so government entirely over leveraged here this means that the money supply has gone up over time when the money supply goes up at a faster pace than the goods and services go up, that means prices go up. So let's say goods and services don't change. If you double the money, then you double the prices because now it takes twice as much money to get the same amount of stuff as it did before. The new money works its way through the economy, bids up the prices of the goods and services. So over time, for decades and decades and decades, they've been printing money, they've been expanding the money supply at a little bit of a faster pace than the, the supply of goods and services have expanded. So on average, you know, for you know decades, we had, let's say, you know 2% inflation. Because the money supply was expanding at roughly that amount in excess of how fast our uh, GDP was growing, the goods and services. So prices were going up over time. Um, when you have a system built on inflation, which is itself built on debt, um, the incentives are to borrow. 
Because if I can borrow dollars today, I know that the value of those dollars is going down. Another way of saying that, if you look at it from the other side, is that those dollars become more abundant relative to the goods and services. If dollars become more abundant relative to the stuff, that means those dollars are easier to get. So if I borrow $100 today, um, I might have to work for you know 10 hours at $10 an hour in order to get that. So I borrow $100, that's, that's worth 10 hours of labor. But Fast forward a couple of years and uh, the minimum wage goes up and inflation goes up and now companies are hiring at much higher uh, rates in order to attract workers. Well, that same job might now be paying $20 an hour. And this is this is like not, you know, a, a crazy example. Um, I rem- when I was a when I was a kid, when I was my fir- first jobs, I was looking for looking at jobs and I remember looking at in and out. And thinking, well, I don't really want to flip burgers, but, um, you know, $9 an hour would be unbelievable to make because my first job, I was making $7 and 25 cents an hour. So I thought in my mind, if I could make $9 an hour, I would just be rich. And so that I was, you know, I always thought, you know, it would be like the best job in the world to, to work at in and out. Cause you got paid so much more. Well, literally just the other day I drove by in and out, uh, I was going through the drive through and I looked at the uh, the, the sign on the window and they're hiring at eighteen fifty an hour. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 
Only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. That's double what it was when I started off uh, at my first job. Um, not only that, but that $18.50 an hour, it's only you know something like a dollar under um, the uh, my first actual career job. So I got hired my first job after college. I was making $40,000 a year. And that was f- by far way more money than I had ever made. And that was like the entry-level career salary. Now you can get that for flipping burgers at In-N-Out. So this is what uh, people say when inflation erodes the value of the dollar and why debt is incentivized is because it becomes easier and easier to get your hands on those dollars. It would have taken me when I was a kid, let's say 10 hours worth of work, worth of labor, uh, my product, I would have had to sell 10 hours of my time to be able to pay back that $100. But now... I only have to give up five hours of my time at that same exact job. I have to sell the same exact thing, but only five of them to get the same number of dollars to pay back that $100. So as the money supply increases, it becomes more abundant. That means it gets easier and easier to get your hands on those dollars. You have to command fewer resources in order to get those same number of dollars. And so that's what it means by uh, inflation eroding away the value of the debt because I borrow the hundred dollars. Now I get the full purchasing power right now. Later when I have to pay it back, it's easier to pay it back. It's easier to get my hands on those dollars to pay it back than it would be today to get those dollars through, uh, through the means of service or labor. So, um, when we, uh, when we see a system that's built on inflation, built on debt, it incentivizes debt. So why is that a problem? Well, you get to corporate America and you get to the most overleveraged economy in history. Right now, corporations have the largest debt load that they've ever had before. Why else is that a problem? Look at households. Households are more overleveraged today than they've ever been before. So the government, corporations, and households are more over leveraged today than they've ever have been. Got more debt today than they've ever had. Okay, so even then, just knowing that it's the most doesn't necessarily mean it's a problem because personally, let's say you've never had debt, 
then you open up a credit card and put $100 on it. Technically, that's the most over leveraged. That's the most leveraged you've ever been, right? That's the most debt you've ever had. That doesn't necessarily mean that's a problem. I mean, $100 on a credit card is pretty easy to pay off. So just knowing that it's the most doesn't necessarily mean it's a problem. Okay. So why is it a problem? Why does this go back to the beginning of what we started talking about, the biggest black swan in history? Well, we have to look at the interest rates. What have interest rates been doing for the last, let's say, 20 years? Well, the benchmark interest rate is usually going to be looked at at the, uh, it's going to be the the 10-year U.S. Treasury. Uh, Interest rates of various forms of debt are going to fluctuate somewhere around that. So, Obviously, forms of debt like credit card debt, those are going to have much higher interest rates. Other forms of debt will be lower uh, interest rate than the 10-year, but ultimately, that's going to be kind of the benchmark that things either are higher than or lower than and fluctuate with. So the U.S. 10-year treasury, right? uh, well, for if we look at the years from, let's say, 2011 through 2022, um, they fluctuated from uh, all the way down at zero basically up to a maximum of like 3%. But for most of that time, uh, they fluctuated in between like two and two and a half percent. Well, what is one uh, feature nice about debt? Debt can be refinanced, meaning you can borrow new debt in order to pay off the old debt many times. I gave the example earlier of you rolling over an old credit card to a new credit card, doing a balance transfer. Uh, This can be done with houses. You can refinance your house, borrow a new mortgage from a new lender to pay off your old lender. Uh, You can actually do that with car loans as well. Corporations refinance their debt all the time. Governments even do it sometimes. Um, What this means is that when interest rates go down, people will refinance. Because if you if it costs you, let's say, $1,000 a month to make your debt payments, but you can refinance and now your debt payments are only going to cost you $500 a month, that's going to free up a ton of income for you. So you're likely going to do that. Why is this an issue? Well, because interest rates hit zero in 2020. All the refinancing happened. And so all of that debt trillions of dollars that the government was borrowing to spend money during 2020 and 2021, the uh, corporate America, all the debt they had, uh, households, all of the refinancing for houses, all the new car purchases. Number one, we're the most over leveraged economy we've ever had. But number two, all that debt is at the lowest rates in history. Very, very close to 0%. Why is this a big deal? Interest rates are no longer down at those levels. So we were able to load up with all this debt because debt was so cheap. You could say, okay, I my my debt payment was $1,000 before, refinanced to get it down to a 500. Now I can afford to get even more debt to buy even more stuff to get back up to that $1,000, which I can afford. Maybe my income goes up so I can afford $1,500 worth of debt. And so now maybe you've tripled your debt and you've only marginally increased your debt service cost. So the low rates allowed the leverage to get even bigger in the system. The problem is now rates are going back up because if they didn't, the inflation would have turned into hyperinflation and the dollar would have lost all value and it would have collapsed and we, you know, the globe would have collapsed into a hyperinflationary collapse. And so obviously the Fed wants to 
preserve the dollar's purchasing power uh, as as they can, because if they don't and the dollar loses purchasing power, they're all out of a job. Number one, the United States government has no more power left. So that's kind of like biggest risk to them is hyperinflation. Even deflationary, a deflationary death spiral would not be as bad for them as a complete uh, zeroing out of the value of the dollar. I know a lot of people don't think so. Uh, they like inflation. Um, they just they they wouldn't be able to survive uh, a hyperinflation. That would be the end of everything for the dollar. Um, and so, uh, if they kept rates low. Well, then that would have continued to increase spending so drastically that we could have very easily tipped over into hyperinflation. So they had to start raising rates to pull money out of circulation. So you ask, how does raising rates pull money out of circulation? Well, because just like lowering rates increases the money supply, raising rates decreases it because now you have to devote more of your income to uh, servicing that debt as that debt gets more expensive or if some of the debt matures, now you have to roll it over to new debt, but that new debt has a higher interest rate. Now more of your income gets devoted to just paying the higher interest rate. So then you either have to just have higher debt service costs or you have to try and deleverage and pay down some of the debt so you reduce your debt service costs. Either way, more income is devoted to the debt. And so higher interest rates put a burden on the uh, on economic actors who have uh, debt because it makes their expenses go up. So it sucks money out of circulation, which ends up pushing prices down because people have less spending power, less income. And so that the price uh, price level falls as a result. So as we have higher and higher interest rates, we get into a more and more of a dangerous uh, uh, tipping. We get closer to tipping over into a deflationary death spiral because if all of this income is getting sucked out to service the debt, well, now all that income is not being used as somebody else's income. So Maybe it's, you know, you're laying people off, which companies are doing right now. So now your expense, instead of uh, employing somebody, that's just going to pay off debt. Um, now that person who just lost a job doesn't have any income to continue to spend on all the things they were spending it on. Well, now let's say they were spending that uh, that stuff, they were going to spend it on a new MacBook. Well, now Apple doesn't get that in, that revenue from that MacBook that they would have sold. And so since Apple is losing revenue from a loss of sales, now they have to fire people. And since they have to fight, like it's a whole, this is why it's called a spiral because everything, it's like a, a domino line where each one thing hits the next one and the next one falls and that falls into the next one. And it feeds uh, feeds back in on itself as prices fall, incomes fall, as uh, interest rates kind of are the the catalyst to sending everything in this downward spiral. So going back to where we started, when you have people like Michael Burry, Nassim Taleb, Mark Spitznagel, Noriel uh, Rubini, uh, Ray Dalio, all saying we've got a black swan event ahead of us, um, a tinderbox time bomb worse than the 1929 crash, this is what they're looking at. They're looking at the massive record, historically uh, never been seen before, levels of debt, wherever you look, households, corporations, governments, and then pair that with rising interest rates. It is a disaster waiting to happen. Now, the question that everybody has then is how much pain will uh, the Fed uh, allow or force the uh, the economy to feel before stepping in and trying to stop the bleeding. 
And that is a big question. I am currently recording this on Tuesday uh, evening, um, uh, January 31st. And so uh, February 1st it's uh, is Wednesday. The Federal Reserve is going to be having their press conference. They're going to be releasing their statement from their FOMC meeting that's happening right now where they are you know, deciding on whether they're going to raise interest rates, how much they're going to raise interest rates by, and uh, what the future path of monetary policy is going to be. Um, and so I don't know at this point yet what they're going to say. By the time you listen to this, they'll probably already have stated that. But most likely they're going to raise rates again, and then they're going to give some sort of forward guidance and basically say, hey, look, uh, we're probably going to continue to raise rates. We're probably going to continue to let assets bleed off our balance sheet um, in, in the fight against inflation. We haven't seen inflation become meaningfully down yet. And so we'll continue to do these things until inflation hits where we want it to be, and then we'll reassess. I'm, I would be, I would put so much money down on that will be the gist of what they're going to say. And so, uh, the problem with this is that by the time the movements appear in their data, it's too late because they're not looking at the stock market. They're not looking at your 401k. They're not looking at your, uh, budget getting squeezed. They're not looking at the cost of eggs, you know, 10 Xing. They're not looking at the fact that your credit card is, uh, maxing out and that you're uh, falling behind and you're barely able to make minimum payments. They're not looking at any of that. They're looking at lagging indicators that take months or quarters to finally show up in their data. And then they're running it through equations and models that have been proven to be false because they are based on an incorrect assumption about the way the economy works. It goes all the way back to Keynesian uh, economics. So it is not a reliable thing. Uh, The Federal Reserve, in my opinion, is not going to be reliable enough to count on to come in and save the day that if everything gets too painful, they're just going to lower rates again, because then they have the same exact problem that they had before, which is contributing to inflation. Now, I ultimately think they will do that. But by the time they respond, there's going to already be a ton of economic pain, number one. And number two, they're not going to respond the way they did in 2020. They see the mistakes of printing that much money, basically. So they're not going to come in with a heavy hand, which means it's not going to be enough to really move the needle. So there might be a temporary reprieve just from markets just saying, oh, good, the Fed has pivoted. And so there might be a little bit of a relief rally. But when the market realizes, oh, that didn't move the needle and there's no substantive change here and there's nothing uh, substantial that's going to change the economic conditions, the bottom's going to the bottom's going to fall out. Now, I need to be very clear here with the last few minutes of the episode that I don't necessarily think this means uh, the stock market is going to collapse. Um, certainly, uh, Mark Spitznagel does. So uh, he said that the Universa, that his hedge fund, is currently short the S&P 500. The fund would gain 402% if the index drops just 10% in one month. Um, it would gain 10,000% if the stock market drops 30% in one month. And so this is that black swan investing. This is primarily for retail individuals going to be done through options investing. Options investing is um, uh, something that if you do it right, allows you to have these payoffs where an unexpected move happening would grant you massive returns. And uh, if if it doesn't pay, pan out, then you lose a little bit. 
Um, kind of similar to like the payoff structure of a lottery ticket where you lose a dollar or you lose two dollars, but you stand to win, you know, a couple billion dollars or whatever the payout is. Um, options, if you use them right, are similar where you can structure them to have, hey, I know this probably won't pay out. Um, and if it, if it doesn't, then I lose, you know, a, a, you know, a 10th of a percent of my portfolio, but if it does pay out, then I win, you know, you know, 10%, I had 10% to my portfolio or even more. Um, and so, uh, there are, there are ways that everybody can bet on things like this. And so if you want to learn how to trade options, I actually have a course on this. I can link it in the description below. Um, but uh, ultimately, uh, anybody can invest like this, and those are the payouts that they are looking for, and their kind of hedge fund is designed for. Um, and uh, and so he is looking at a big drop in the stock market. I don't necessarily think that that's a necessity uh, for that to happen, but I do think that it's very likely the average American experiences enormous economic pain um, uh, before things get better. Um, so. My advice and recommendation to my friends and my family and the people that uh, I know and love is get ready, is buckle up, build up that savings, deleverage as fast as you can um, because we're headed into some choppy waters. You want to be able to survive it because as long as you can keep afloat, then on the other side of it, then you'll be the one that's able to you know, buy assets at really cheap prices. You'll be the one that's able to help people out instead of being the one relying on other people to help you out. So seeing these things coming allows you to be prepared and save and uh, invest appropriately um, and maybe even profit off of it if you, uh, if you bet accordingly. So... We'll see what happens. You'll be the first to know. But uh, right now, there are some big names expecting some sort of a big black swan event. And the thinking is sound because when you have the most overleveraged economy in history and then you start jacking up those interest rates, well, something's got to give. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you guys next week. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget Beach Finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. You deserve to treat yourself. 
So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.